Good news for the baby. No good denial. Uh, just my dad calling. Yeah, yeah, whatever, boss. Welcome to the Palm Court. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. Let's go shopping! (laughs) So, that's our purported (laughs) opening. Yeah. Uh... Unless it's too annoying, let yeah. us know. But it's uh, it's certainly distinctive. Oh, definitely, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, takes us all back to a simpler time. I mean, the Selfridge ITV and them were quite willing to use that as a promotional material for their shows. That's so. true. So clearly, there's some appeal out there somewhere. <laughs> Are you annoying? Would you like to go shopping? <laughs> if so, we'd like a voicemail from you saying, "Let's go shopping." <laughs> We wouldn't actually. No. That would be very unpleasant. <laughs> All right. So uh, this is Mr. Selfridge, Series 3, Episode 3. Correct. The golden episode. Indeed. Uh, yeah. And we have two Ellen Love letters. As promised. Somebody tweeted at us. They wanted us to change this to... Uh, somebody wanted us to change it to Blankensop's mailbag. <laughs> but I was like, we kind of miss Ellen Love. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is our way of shoehorning Ellen Love back into the proceedings. That coked up. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy ass bitch. <laughs> and her weird pajamas and teddy bear dance. Man. Once again, somehow that was a simpler time. <laughs> At any rate, our first letter comes from customer Teresa. Hello, Kelly and Tom. I started listening to your Up Yours Downstairs podcast after seeing it referenced in a blog post about Downton Abbey. I came across it just in time for coverage of the most recent season of Downton, and I had to stifle many a giggle at work. I work in a lab where we don't get much privacy, and we're pretty crowded in, so every fake cough was noticed by all. (laughs) It's worth it, of course. Yours was the first podcast I ever really listened to, and you've set the bar so high that I'm having trouble finding entertaining podcasts for other shows I watch. Wanting to hear more from you, I watched all of Parade's End and the previous two seasons of Mr. Selfridge, neither of which I had any intention of watching before. Thank you for exposing me to these great shows, and thank you so much for your podcast. I've been flying a lot due to the illness and death of a close relative. Listening to your podcasts on those flights and when I couldn't sleep really helped keep me going and helped me enjoy the time I did have left with my relative. To me, you've been nailing it all along, and I have no doubt you're going to be nailing it for as long as you continue putting out podcasts. (laughs) I love the new selfie you've come up with for the palm court and i'm excited for the ride this season will take us on i tried really hard to come up with a sign off for you guys to use for the palm court but i'm just not very witty i'm afraid (laughs) thank you again cousin Teresa, a loyal customer well thank you very much that's always uh it's nice to hear from from new customers Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh i mean i guess they're all new customers well right at this point yeah and uh i think really for us, also, the best thing about the podcast is we do watch things that we wouldn't necessarily have watched. Right, that's true. Like, I'm not sure that we would have watched Mr. Selfridge yeah. if it weren't for recommendations mm-hmm. from people who listen to our podcast. Absolutely. I and mean, the it, same goes for Parade's End. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Mr. Selfridge seemed rather off-putting to us. It you did, know, and at, it turns out we love it. Yeah, we do. I never, Everybody, spread the word. Tell your oh, friends yeah, absolutely. about Mr. Selfridge. They've already been renewed for Series 4. Uh, oh, which reminds me, so Lady May, yes. uh, Catherine Kelly is the actress's name. She is on maternity leave, and that's why she's not in this series. Right. But she is verbally confirmed to come back. I'm not sure what yeah. the ins and outs are, but she's planning to come back. So everybody, yeah. you know, 
she's coming back. It was it was frightening there for a bit, and we're certainly sad that we're not going to see her all this season. But I also found out that she and I share a birthday. Ooh. I know her, <laughs> me, Jodie Foster, Savion Glover. What a great day! <laughs> <laughs> Our next Ellen love letter comes from customer Hamilton. Greetings, Kelly and Tom. First of all, let me just tell you how much I love your podcast. Podcasts! <laughs> the snark and wit are among the best in the podcast and game. Since it's Selfridge season, I figured I'd get caught up by listening to older episodes from season two to refresh my memory and just listen to Boobs v. Pickpocket. <laughs> Possibly my favorite episode name. In that episode, Kelly talked about how much rouge all the women are wearing, and I recall you talking about how hard it is to find any fashion backwards material for the 20s. When I came across the link below titled Eyeliner and Liner Notes, A History of Makeup, 1900-1920, the first thing I thought of was our dearest mascara maverick eyeliner. <laughs> the article discusses makeup trends in the early 1900s up to the early 1920s with some comments on the 30s here and there. It's pretty short, but they list the sources at the bottom of the article, which might be of some use to you for future fashion backwards bits. Take a gander, and hey, give me a shout-out on the podcast. That would make my entire year. <laughs> Love all that you two are doing, and I'm excited to hear more from you guys. Thanks for always nailing it! Your devoted customer slash cousin Baron Hamilton. P.S. The sign-off, whatever you decide, should be in the voice of the artful porter. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, yeah. uh, customer slash cousin Baron Hamilton. <laughs> it's very, very tricky. Well, yeah. Uh, at any rate, yeah. Um, so that link will be up and we can all peruse that and mm-hmm. have some infos, which is important. That's right. And yeah, thank you for listening. And those are, you know, that's a solid idea for the, uh, the sign off. Yeah. Whatever that it, we have a you know we have a sign on right now yeah so we're halfway there people we're halfway there we've almost figured this out <laughs> uh, it's only taken us two three th- three weeks yeah well two weeks yeah yeah depending well, how you do the math yeah we're on a you it's know. like how it's the twenty first century but the years start with twenty exactly yeah yeah, yeah. it's like that <laughs> anyway let us dive into this recap which man. Yeah. Guys, again, buckle in. Yeah. Because what? It's intense. Yeah. Like, this episode is so intense, I refused to watch it a second time. (laughs) And that's not like me. No. Like, I'm generally not, like, affected by stuff. Mm -hmm. But this was very affecting. Yeah. Nonetheless, it starts off on the roof garden with a big old bunch of pink balloons. Harry is welcomed to the press there. He says that they're launching their biggest beauty event ever, and they have attached generous vouchers to all of these balloons. 50 pink Selfridge balloons. <laughs> right. Kitty sets the balloons free while posing for the cameras. She is so good yeah. at posing for things. <laughs> she, like, kicks a leg up. Uh, and we see the b- balloons drift away as we cut to the cosmetics department where Kitty is saying how important this event is. She is going to be demonstrating color cosmetics and has been working with renowned cosmetologists. Which, if you'll recall, she was hella jealous. Yeah. She was hella jealous when Agnes Teller got to go to Paris. That's and right. so now, you know, Kitty is similarly getting to run with the big dogs, mm-hmm. which is exciting. She's expensing some things. Uh-huh. Nunu Gordon walks up and says congratulations, which gets Kitty happy for a second, but he is actually talking to fake Doris, who is now officially head of accessories. <laughs> Bobbin's excited. Kitty is not, and says that she wishes she had a nice small department like accessories. I don't even understand why she cares what these children think. <laughs> right. Like, it's absurd to, like, feel threatened by fake Doris. Yeah, that's just fake Doris. Yeah. 
It's not real Doris. Right. Anyway. And even real Doris, I'm sorry, Doris Classic. Yeah. Doris Classic did not wind up like causing you any problems. Right. But uh, Kitty is petty like that at times, and so that's how she feels. And fake Doris and Nunu Gordon just kind of laugh at her, actually, as they're stepping aside. Fake Doris hopes that she's good enough to be department head, and Nunu Gordon says, of course she is, and if anybody says otherwise, to send them to him, and also that they should go and celebrate. So the Gordon fake Doris ship, full steam ahead, everybody. It's uh, it's happening. Goris. <laughs> Dorden. <laughs> Customers, you decide. <laughs> Nake. Nake Dorden. Yeah. Anyway, Nick, I was trying to I, I was trying to add new in there. Oh. Yeah. Mm. We'll just go with Dorden. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sad. It is sad. At least Goris sounds horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we but had Dorden, it is. If we had any idea what fake Doris's real name was, you know, who can say? Uh, the good ship new fake Dorden. <laughs> <laughs> new fake Dorden. Yeah, new fake Dorden. Oh, uh, you crazy kids. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I was excited because I was concerned right. that this yeah. had been dropped. But and I was like, but, you know. He had cast her aside. Yeah, except, like, for what? Right. I just am never a fan well, of any. Well, for that mustache. Well, <laughs> that probably did take a lot of time <laughs> out of his schedule. I'm just never a fan of, like, anybody dating somebody and, like, breaking up with them and then not immediately, like, dating somebody else. <laughs> I'm like, well, then why? <laughs> I'm not saying it's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Probably I should think more about uh, the value of being alone sometimes. This has all been a peek into the heart of Kelly. It is a heart of darkness, <laughs> I assure you. Miss <laughs> Martle walks through fashion with Mr. Grove, and she says it can be like Piccadilly Circus in here. And uh, she points out models wearing the dresses. Uh, Mr. Grove says that Selfridge wasn't the same without her, and he has a favor to ask. He says Doris Classic's birthday is the next day, and he'd like to do something special for her. So, threesome. Right? Ew, no! <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. The only thing I can imagine worse <laughs> than him having sex with fake Doris or Miss Martle is all three of them at the same time. And I'd be fine <laughs> with fake Doris and Miss Martle going at it. Oh, it's yeah, just sure. his ginger pubes everywhere. What if they're all in a bathtub? <laughs> Dear Mr. Selfridge, you've ruined baths for me. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and remember Miss uh, Revilius? Yeah. I miss her. I miss her, too. But they have implemented this whole living doll thing. Right. So that's <laughs> not horrifying. Sure. I mean, I guess they always did that, but they weren't out on the shop floor. You had to be like right. you had Lady to be, May exactly. and go look at them. Yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, we've run pretty far astray of what was actually <laughs> happening. Uh, no, he just wants to buy her some fancy dresses and wants to send her into the fashion department the next day so she can spruce herself up. <laughs> right. Doris Classic's birthday coming up, and I find her ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I find her boring. <laughs> She's nearly as boring as fake Doris. <laughs> In Harry's office, his bank guy asks about the loan that Harry is asking for, which is 30,000 pounds he wants for a project that he has st- stated up front is not going to make a profit. Bank guy says that Harry has very few assets uh, to back up this loan. Harry says that he owns the largest store in London. Bank guy says that he owns 51% of it as a shareholder. So this is interesting because I thought that he had lost the majority vote. Right. But he 
he it's just that he used to be sole shareholder ah okay yeah and then he had to sell some shares to raise money for the store during the war right anyway i don't know how finance works i don't really either in Mr. Grove's office, Mr. Crab asks if Harry has said anything to Mr. Grove since the board meeting. Mr. Grove says no, and then Mr. Crab says that things are uncomfortable uh, between him and Mr. Selfridge. Grove assures him he did the right thing and adds that they're letting all the women go today. Uh, and, you know, that's going to be a bummer. Right. And uh, the bank guy tells Harry he can have the loan, but at 15% interest. Uh, not nailing it. Yeah. That's a lot of interest. That's a lot of interest. That's more than my, you know, highway robbery student loans. Yeah. Uh, those soldiers that have been around sell a Clara cigarette. Uh, they look at another veteran across the street who's missing an arm. They see LeClaire giving him some money and, uh, Sarge says that they're in the wrong game. Hmm. Is Sarge his name or did you make that up? Well, he is a sergeant because Fat Thomas greets him as sergeant. That oh, time. wait. He was the cigarette guy. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Wow. This is like everybody all knows each other, huh? Well, as it happens, yeah. <laughs> In Plunkett's office, Plunkett tells Crab that Harry's seeing his personal bank manager as Harry and the bank guy head out. And he greets Mr. Grove and Mr. Crab. Grove asks if he should ask the women they're firing to assemble in the loading bay, but Harry says he wants them to come to his office. They deserve a personal farewell. Yeah, it's uh, the least they deserve, in fact, which is true. In the lair, LeClaire gazes out a window as Agnes lists some things they need to do for this beauty event, and she notices that he does not appear to be listening, but he says that he heard her. She says it's been like this for weeks now, her talking to herself and him not saying anything, which LeClaire responds to by continuing to not say anything. Agnes asks him to tell her what's wrong. He says nothing and takes one of the papers she's holding and looks at it. Man, I'm glad we don't work together. Yeah. Like, that's uncomfortable. Yeah, agreed. I mean, like, it wouldn't be so bad if they were in different departments, but it's like, literally, their entire lives are just them being married and working at this place yeah well i'm glad we don't work together and also that neither of us has ptsd oh yeah that's also really helpful (laughs) i would go just so far to say i'm just glad neither of us has ptsd yeah i think that's our top priority in his office harry tells the artful porter that he only thought she'd be working there a few months and it's been four years and he wants to thank her uh mr grove says she'll get great references but the artful porter chokes back tears and says the references won't mean anything and Mr. Grove says she has a month's wages in hand. And I'm like, yeah, a month? Yeah. That's for a month. Right. And she says, and when they run out, to which uh, <laughs> there's uh, yeah. no answer. They really did well, not do a good job uh, coming up with vague platitudes yeah. to tell I, uh, these crying women. I suppose at that point you'll be fucked. She says she loved it at Selfridges and she was good at what she did. Oh, man. Yeah. Harry says that she was and shakes her hand. She takes her envelope and walks out crying past a long line of other girls who, uh, if they didn't know what they were in for, uh, already know <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Crab gets off the elevator and is shocked. Uh, I need a gift <laughs> of Mr. Crab's reaction to this because it was priceless. Uh, so Cousin Carly or somebody else who wants to do that, that would be great. <laughs> Uh, Connie is next in line for those getting the can. Yeah. Outside, the artful porter and Connie are walking along. Connie has heard of jobs in the East End, if you can sew. The artful porter says she wants a job doing what she was good at, lifting and driving, but Connie says that that's all men now. 
Sarge asks if she wants a job. Connie asks what's wrong with that. And Sarge's runty sidekick says that they spent four years in France and now they're suck- stuck selling fags on the street. And Sarge says they should stick to what they're good at, keeping house and having kids. And some unseen person says, and other things. Connie asks Sarge what he's good at. He says, come here and I'll show you. The artful porter says that they should leave. And Connie says that Sarge is pathetic. Uh, Connie is correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's very gross. In Harry's office, Rose's portrait looks on as Nunu Gordon tells Harry that Crab says a month's pay is very generous severance. Harry says that Rose would ask if he'd done all he could to help. Nunu Gordon says the housing estate will help other women and families in need. Harry says Rose might say that too and adds that he appreciates how Nunu Gordon stood up for him at the board meeting. Nunu Gordon's like, could we please not talk about that? <laughs> Listen, it- I hired you to be the reliable yes man and you're doing great. <laughs> Plunkett says a car is there to take them to the auction. At Mustache House, Connie complains about getting harassed, and Mustache says that a lot of veterans are out of work, as Kitty tells Connie that the peas she is dumping on her plate are for everyone. Those peas look great, by the way. (laughs) They do. Connie asks if Mustache is saying that those harassers were right. Mustache just says that jobs are thin on the ground. Connie's like, yeah, duh. Kitty asks Connie what she's going to do, and Connie suggests that perhaps she could help keep house. Kitty's like, no, and says that she needs another job. Kitty, Connie asks Kitty if there's any way she could pull some strings and get her a job at Selfridges. Uh, Mustache tries to change the subject, but Kitty angrily says that nobody ever did her any favors. She worked her way up from the bottom, and if Connie wants work, she needs to get off her behind and look for it. Connie walks out angrily. Wasting all the peas yeah, that she dumped. She didn't have a single pea. She didn't eat anything. That's right. Rude. <laughs> uh, and Mustache says, lovely chops. <laughs> <laughs> At what really seems like a synagogue? Definitely. That's like stained glass, uh, six-pointed star motifs in places. Uh yeah, and Steam? just like, I don't know, like just the architecture of the interior yeah. seems very synagogue-like. I mean, whatever it was. Yeah, anyway, I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Yeah. But I just was like, okay, I didn't know they had auctions at synagogues. Apparently they do. I mean, you know, why not? Hey, yeah. We could have an auction in our apartment when we're not using it. That's true. Now you're talking, see, the aha, it's this new app for the sharing economy. It's like Airbnb, except you just rent out your apartment for auction years. <laughs> Uh, Aption. <laughs> uh, gavel with no E. Mm, um, paddle with no A. <laughs> that could be confusing. Oh, yeah. People might think it means puddle. <laughs> right. Anyway, well, uh, we'll fix that in post. <laughs> anyway, uh, just as Harry and Nunu Gordon walk in, the auctioneer is describing the Acton land. And Harry whispers to Nunu Gordon that it shouldn't go much above 14,000, 15 at the most. And the bidding starts at 10,000 and moves up. Harry again whispers that they'll all be out at 14, but we see that Loxley is on his way. Yeah. I just don't feel like you should audibly discuss your bidding strategy in an auction while it's going on. I agree. I don't think he should be bidding on this piece of land, but my opinion clearly (laughs) does not carry any water. He never asks your opinion. I know. Typical As man. Loxley comes in, Harry bids 14200 and the other bidder shakes his head. The auctioneer asks if there are any other bids. Uh, Loxley bids 15000 
Harry bids 16,000. Nunu Gordon says that he said that 15 was his limit. Uh, but Harry is clearly beyond reason. Yeah. As he gets. And the bidding gets up to 20,000. Then Loxley bids 25. Harry goes to 27. All accompanied by much harumph. Oh, yes. They're going to be plumb <clears throat> out of harumph. <laughs> they are. <laughs> Loxley gives it a long pause and bids 28. Harry says Rose would have wanted this. Wrong. You can't keep using a dead person to justify your terrible life decisions right. for much longer, dude. Rose would not want you to overbid and pay double what the place is worth, yeah. regardless of what you plan to no, do with it. No, like, whatever he seems to think about her, she was a savvy business. Right. She came from a moneyed family. Right. Like, she knew what... Uh, yeah. So he goes all the way up to 30, and Loxley doesn't bid again, and it's sold. The crowd goes wild by British banker standards, <laughs> which is, uh, it's like the, uh, the part in, uh, Mary Poppins where that old bank guy dies, but like the opposite of that, <laughs> divided by three. Wow, I didn't know there'd be math. Well, I didn't either, Tom, but sometimes <laughs> words aren't enough. Yeah. Yeah, and I just, uh, well, and here's my other question is that the homely architect said that the government would match his investment. Yes. So does that mean the government now has to pay $30,000? That's my question as well. Cause the government's not gonna like that. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, that. If I've learned anything in my life, is people <laughs> hate it when you ask them for money. <laughs> it's true. No, and I had wondered that too, and it's, uh, left very unclear. Yeah, we're not sure, but. Well, Are any they, of you a hundred-year-old lawyer that worked on the Homes for Heroes project? Because, I mean, in this sense, I mean, yes, he's out $30,000, but if the government's putting $30,000, they can still kind of float the project. Right, because then that's like all that extra bidding is extra money that can go into the actual houses. Assuming that he quietly poisons Lord Loxley so there's not any more problems. <laughs> Which he should really do just to be on the safe side. Honestly, this guy's not going to quit. No. You know? He's, he's clearly not. He's like a luscious ass. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose except completely unattractive right yeah there's there's a few differences yes anyway harry and Nunu gordon walk down the staircase and harry goes up to loxley who says did you miss me god like what did he do in prison i mean he clearly wasn't hitting the yard right. like, <laughs> i mean was he just reading a book entitled how to be a cartoonish villain over and over again Possibly. Well, he'd, you know, he'd skimmed it before, but prison gave him the time to really focus. <laughs> <laughs> Harry asks Loxley why he was bidding, and Loxley says it's a public auction. I fucking hate people like him. <laughs> I know. Harry says that Loxley doesn't want the land, and Loxley says that Harry doesn't know when to stop, and in business, he should never let his heart rule his head. Harry says to stay away from him and his family. Loxley asks why he's so unfriendly. He got what he wanted, dot, 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 and so will I. Like, come on, dude. Yeah, and I'll say this. Yes, Loxley's being a cartoonish villain, but also he played Harry. Oh, yeah. Like, played him. Like a violin. Like, yeah, come on. Knew exactly how high he could bid up Harry. Like, he, yeah. Why do you let him, why you let him play you like that, Harry? Because he's extremely playable. Yeah. Look. He gets played a lot. Yeah. Like when it's I feel like it kind of, you know, when you think about it too, it ties in with like his gambling thing. Oh right, I forgot how he was addicted to gambling. Right, me too. Oof. Yeah. Well, there's a problem I'm glad not to have. Yeah. Harry walks into the dining room and Rosalie asks where he's been. They're supposed to be having family dinner. Yeah. Which where has he been? Like they knew when the auction was going to be 
and it's not like Loxley held things up that's that long. true like they only talked for a minute yeah uh harry's very inconsiderate yeah but. true anyway harry asks where sergey is he's getting dressed and harry yells for him while new gordon explains what's happened sergey comes in and harry asks if he told Loxley about the housing project uh, he says they might have discussed business affairs. And Harry t- says that he told him to stay away from Loxley. Sergey arrogantly says it's none of his business. Harry says that he's married to his daughter and living under his roof and that Loxley is using Sergey to get get at Harry to undermine him and his family. Boom. Yep. Finally. We've been wondering when he was going to like play that card. Right. And he finally did. Yeah. Uh, Sergey says you're doing a pretty good job of that yourself. In terms of undermining the family. Right. Which, like, maybe, but he's not, not, not any more than he's ever done. Less, really. Like, where's your dad at, Sergey? Oh. Rosalie gets up and leaves in tears. The princess gets up and orders Sergey to come with her. He reluctantly accepts. Harry says he won't be made a fool of, but Ma says he must calm down and she goes to Rosalie. Uh, Nunu Gordon is stuck there with his mustache <laughs> in his hand. And Violette, still seated at the table, says, we should do these family dinners more often. Uh, kind of winning me back over after her dickish behavior last week. But God damn it, if that girl can't do a line reading. She can. Yeah, it's true. At Martle House, Martle is going through fashion magazines. Agnes says that she's busy, and Martle says she's just doing her homework for the new job. Agnes asks if Henri is back. Martle thought that the two of them were out together, but Agnes says no, she just needed a walk. Martel says that it's not late, and so he'll presumably be coming back. Agnes agrees and says goodnight. Then, in the gray light of the morning, Agnes wakes up in bed alone. She's become Rose Selfridge. Nunu Gordon and Harry get off the elevator. Nunu Gordon says it's a relief to be at work. Uh, Yeah, since their entire home life is a nightmare right now. Yeah. Harry greets Plunkett and asks her to send a card to the homely architect saying that he won the field. Hurrah. Agnes enters Caliano's through the unlocked front door, um, which was weird. And yeah, they should lock that. They have stolen goods <laughs> being stored in there. Right. Like, how do you think stolen goods happen? Yeah. People not locking doors. <laughs> well, more likely it's a person on the inside with keys. Well, that too. Anyway, Fat Thomas is like, uh, hello. And she says that she needs to talk to him. As she sits down in his office, Fat Thomas says that he heard that she got married and congratulates her. And she's like, thanks. And there's a pause. He's like, so, uh, yeah, uh, LeClaire's one of my regulars now. And Agnes says that that's why she's there. She says that he hasn't been himself and he won't talk to her about it. And she thought he might have said something to Fat Thomas. But Fat Thomas says he is not. Agnes says she shouldn't have come and goes to leave. And Fat Thomas says that Henri was in Verdun. And Agnes says, I don't know what that means. What happened? Mm -hmm. And it's like... Yeah. It's uh, powerful. Yeah. Fat Thomas says that thousands died there, gassed, shot, and starved. He says that he heard their supply lines got cut off and that there are some things that Agnes doesn't want to know. She says she has to know. Fat Thomas says that he heard talk of piles of bodies, the living next to the dead, and it being described as hell on earth. Agnes says, so that's what happened to Henri. Fat Thomas shrugs. She asks what happened to Fat Thomas, and he gets up and opens the door for her to leave and says that he has a club to run. And Agnes says, of course, and thanks him and leaves. Woof, guys. This is just the tip of the iceberg here. Yeah. But uh, again, like, we've never seen anybody actually talking about what happened. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Like even in Parades End, where I feel like we see the effects of it on Christopher Tegens. Right. But like the actual reality uh, in like the aftermath, obviously, you know, like we saw people getting shot. Right. And going crazy and stuff. And we saw, you know, the bloody, bloody battalion of pals getting together after the war. Right. But we haven't seen this kind of nuanced. It's not even nuanced. Yeah. It's frank and blunt. Yeah. But yeah. That's yeah. why it's refreshing. It's not this deferment. It's it's engaging with it. And I mean, you know, Thomas, yeah. Matt Thomas is able to help her in a way, but he also is like, I'm not, I'm also not going to tell you what happened. Right. Right. Exactly. He can't help her that much. And I also, I mean, and I appreciate their relationship and the way it, the way it is and how their past is like you know there's they're both aware of it obviously but it's not like the center of what they're talking about no, here but i feel like it really uh is palpable oh yeah absolutely and they're both really upset about it yeah but like yeah i just i like the way this handled and i and again it's not just people wishing things were they like they were before the war it's people wishing that you know hundreds of thousands of people hadn't just been killed for no reason. Yeah. Which is a better thing to wish. That is a better thing to wish. Mm-hmm. On the fashion floor, Miss Martle and Doris Classic look at a dress. Miss Martle says the color's perfect for Doris Classic. Martle asks how Ernest is, and Doris says he's a happy dumpling. <laughs> she says she's very lucky, but as she says it, she seems troubled. Uh, she says Mr. Grove is so good to her, and Miss Martle asks if everything is all right, for her Martle sense has picked up on some <laughs> sort of trauma. Yeah. But Doris Classic says yes and just forces up another smile. Miss Martle does the same and says, oh, good, denial. I'm very good at this game. <laughs> Years of practice. <laughs> in the lair, Henri is sketching and Agnes comes in. Henri says, good morning. She asks if he's been there all night and says that she was worried. But he says he was working on the beauty event uh, and he says that he's sorry, but he had all these ideas. She asks if she can see, but he says it's not ready, and she says that he used to always say things like that, that things weren't ready, and he agrees, and he says that he feels like he used to. Agnes asks if he wants to go home and get some sleep, but he says that he's not finished yet, and so Agnes heads out. Yeah, and she's wearing these weird, like, caftans everywhere. I'm she like, is. What? Like, it's like she came in, took off her coat, and put on this caftan. Yeah. Like, is this... Is this like your magical Harry Potter robe? Like, why do you wear these? I can't even think. Martle and Doris Classic get off the elevator. Doris Classic says she's had a lovely time, and Martle says it was her pleasure. Doris Classic is heading off when a man confronts her, and she tries to go around him, but he grabs her arm. And Martle comes up, and Doris Classic tells the guy to leave her alone, and he leaves. Miss Myrtle wants to know who the guy was. Doris Classic claims not to know, but she says she's quite all right and will get a taxi. Uh, we don't know if Martle noticed this, right. but we realized that this guy has blonde hair. Mm-hmm. And in the scene before... In the last episode, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Doris Classic said that uh, Ernest was the only baby to get her blonde hair. Yeah. And so we put two and two together and realized that Doris Classic had an affair... Probably just while Mr. Grove was off, perhaps at war. I mean, it's it's unclear, but yeah, it yeah. is. Uh, it's not the baby Grove. <laughs> yeah, which I mean, good news for the baby. Oh yeah, great news <laughs> for that baby. But uh, not looking like great news for anybody else. No. Fraser puts some tea down in front of Ma. It does not appear to be samovar tea. Hmm. 
Uh, he says that he's visited the princess's flat and saw no sign of the claimed redecoration that was going on uh, because it is now occupied by a family that moved in when the princess moved out, leaving unpaid bills some time ago. Fraser, P.I. <laughs> right. Uh, Ma thanks him. Will she still keep it a secret? And why? Uh, apparently. But this family goes about dealing with its problems in very odd ways. They, they do. Agnes. Well, I guess, I mean, I, I mean, I get it that Ma's like, listen, this looks like the only plot line coming my way this year. <laughs> and I'm gonna play it to the hilt. <laughs> Agnes enters a display window and Henri is working on a fake tree. He's like painting it. Mm-hmm. Agnes asks if she can help, but Henri says he needs to do it himself. He needs to know if he still has it in him. Agnes says that he hasn't slept in 24 hours, but Henri insists this is the first time he's really felt like he was there since he got back. And so Agnes just leaves. Yeah. Uh, she then wakes up in bed, but this time, after a pause, Henri is there. Back at Selfridges, Agnes looks at his window. It's uh, pretty sharp. Yeah. I do think it's not quite his best. I and agree. I think that's a really nice subtle distinction for them to make yeah yeah to the extent that was intentional but yeah Yeah. i I felt the same no i just think of his windows generally being a lot more concise Mm. and this felt very diffuse Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like the thing with all of the the cosmetics like hanging off the tree right like it doesn't give enough weight to the actual product right agreed well i just didn't see what like the message of the window was either you know what i mean but i'm not crazy I say, look at this window. Definitely a sane person put this together. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree, Reginald? Um. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Kitty directs a stream of incoming women to the palm court for cosmetics demonstrations. So that's what they use that place for. There, Kitty gives a little intro to the new cosmetics. She says that most of them learned about makeup from their moms, but these products are all new. And she says, my mother wouldn't know where to begin. She might also wonder if it was all entirely proper. And they all laugh. She's a fucking genius. Yeah. This is so great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and look, and she's exactly the kind of woman who should be selling makeup because mm-hmm. she's naturally beautiful. Right. And she wears makeup in a way that enhances her beauty rather than just spackling it on like I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, here, you happy patriarchy? No, no it's true. She says that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should record it next time and it can be a ringtone for somebody. That is a weird ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, patriarchy! <laughs> oh, just my dad calling. <laughs> I mean, that is the meaning of patriarchy. Right. <laughs> anyway, Kitty indeed says that the right product can enhance your natural beauty, and I uh, ask them all to choose a table for the demonstrations. So she demonstrates or really pitches uh, creme rouge, eyebrow slash eyelash enhancement, and finally, she introduces their greatest innovation, a stick of lip color in a tube. And we are excited. Yeah. As is everybody in the palm court. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh my God. I didn't realize that lipstick wasn't a thing, really. No, I did not either. I just, I got so stoked. (laughs) Yeah. Ma walks into the information bureau and is greeted by Blankensop, so they know each other. Right. Well, she was the family social secretary. Yeah, exactly. So they would have interacted a lot. Mm -hmm. 
Anyway, Ma asks her if they deal with personal information, and Blankenslop says they deal with everything, meaning Harry Selfridge basically invented the internet. I guess so. Take that, Al Gore. Yeah, it's a, this is a strange department to have. You know, like... I mean, every mall has an information desk, and, I mean, it's not this exhaustive. Oh, right, I was going to say. you know, they're responsible for, like, knowing stuff. Yeah, they're responsible for knowing where the Auntie Anne's is. Well, (laughs) and also just, like, directions and restaurants and hotels, like, things we now use the internet for. All right, fair enough. You know? Don't fucking tell me what I don't know about malls. (laughs) Monster. (laughs) So... Ma gives her a note with the princess's name on it. Uh, she's concerned because it's a delicate matter. And Ma says she wants to know everything about the princess. Yeah. Uh, leaning more credence to my theory uh-huh. that the princess is not even Russian. Yeah. It's uh, looking, getting closer and closer. Yeah. So well done there. In Harry's office, Plunkett announces the homely architect. And she and Harry both say it's good to see you at the same time and laugh awkwardly. Uh, so, yeah, this is. Yeah, I guess they're. Um... Yeah. The homely architect got Harry's note, and he says, yes, he is now the proud owner of an, of an expensive field. So the homely architect is like, great, so now you'll need some architects and engineers and construction firms. And he cuts her off. He says, no, what he needs is the homely architect. Uh, he says what he needs her for is a manager. He says he knows she has her own things going on, but that's what he needs. And she says that she would be delighted. Like, in like the way she reacts, I was at first like, I couldn't tell if she was really upset or yeah. really stoked, but she turns out to be really stoked. It's hard because she's so homely. <laughs> right. Harry says that therefore they have a lot to talk about, so they agree that they will meet the next afternoon, and he says that he's got people he would like her to meet. On the shop floor, Harry introduces the homely architect to Rosalie, the princess, and Violette, who, a bit on the nosely, says, <laughs> she's not married, and don't, I don't have a job, so shopping's all I'm good for. And I'm like, okay, get a new line, Violette. <laughs> the homely architect is sure that's not true. The princess asks if the homely architect works there, and Harry explains that she will be managing homes for heroes, and the princess has all those little houses. How exciting. And that they have to go to the cosmetics demonstration. Violette asks if the homely architect is coming and adds that she wants to look like Gloria Swanson. The princess says that she has a long face like a horse, uh, Gloria Swanson. Right. But the homely architect says that she has a natural aristocracy. Harry says that she would be most welcome and leads them to it. And so he's definitely grooming her to be his wife, yeah. right? I, like, I, it's I, creepy. I think so. Like. He'd be most welcome. You're real plain. Well, and I don't, I don't totally hate this development. Because he obviously needs somebody fucking keeping tabs on him since his mother's useless. Right. True enough. Um, I just wish that we, like, knew more about her. But maybe that's part of the plot where she's going to be like, dude, I don't even know you. Yeah. Like, why are you being fucking crazy? Yeah. It's still early on. We'll yeah. see. We'll see where they go with it. Yeah. Also, the she seemed to have a connection with Violette right away. Yeah. Which, which you know, yeah. can only mean good things. Yeah. Uh, in some hallway, Kitty startles Agnes. Kitty's carrying a box of something that just came in and needs to go in the window. So Agnes says that she'll ask Henri when he gets in. Kitty is asking where he was, and she's like, oh, he, he worked all night, so he's sleeping. And Kitty's like, oh, then I'll just do it myself. Uh, so Agnes fi- is like, fine, I'll do it. And she takes the box, and Kitty says, oh, as quick as you can, please. Which is hilarious. Like, this scene is great. This is like, <laughs> this is very like Joan and Peggy on Mad Men. Yeah. Like, earlier on. Mm-hmm. But like, Oh my god, like 
Agnes Teller's fucking face when like she's like trying to walk in her office and Kitty fucking uh Edwards walks up behind her is yeah. classic. Yeah. Boy, there really are like mm-hmm. wow. Yep. Well done. I'm good at critical thinking. <laughs> oh man. All yeah. right. All right, everybody. <sighs> All right. So in the window, Agnes is hanging little boxes on the fake tree. I'm assuming they're powder. Right. And one well, this is also by the way. Even, you know, when we watched this episode, like, I couldn't enjoy Kitty being Kitty because I could tell the, you know, yeah. results that were about to happen. Well, no, because as soon as Agnes was like, I'll do it, I was like, dude, he's being very territorial. Mm-hmm. Don't do, don't do this. Mm-hmm. Like, lie to Kitty. Yeah. Rather than do this. <laughs> Henri sees her from the street and then comes in and asks what she's doing. Agnes starts to explain, but Henri says it's his window. Agnes says that he wasn't there, and Henri yells at her for not waking him, and Mm. Agnes says that she thought he needed sleep. Henri says he worked all night. Agnes says it's just powder. Hey, I was correct. Uh, Henri says, no, it's his window. Agnes says she was just trying to help. He doesn't want her help. She asks what he does want because she can't go on like this and starts crying. Yeah. He says, like what? She says he barely speaks to her, and he asks what he's supposed to say. She says he spent four years at war. Henri says it's over, but Agnes says something has changed. They're like strangers, and it's killing her. Uh, Henri says not to say that, presumably because either the word stranger or the word killing, yeah. uh, or possibly the two in close proximity are triggering. Yeah. Agnes says that she went to see Fat Thomas, and Henri's like, what? Yeah. And she asked him about Verdun. Agnes says that he told her more than Henri ever did. Henri says he's sorry he's a disappointment, and Agnes says that is not what she's trying to say. Henri screams, then what? And a crowd has been gathering outside the window this whole time. Yeah. Mr. Crab comes in and asks what's going on. They ignore him, uh, and he leaves. Yeah. Agnes says she lies next to Henri every night and holds him when he cries in his sleep, and he holds her, but when he wakes up, he pushes her away. And she says she knows he's been through some awful things, and he says she doesn't know anything and starts knocking things over. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, never a positive development. I understand. I've been there. <laughs> right. And I never even went to war. Right. But man, this is just such a rough scene. It is. And Harry has arrived and he says that's enough. And Leclerc just leaves and then Crab and a shop girl lower the curtain on the window. And like, it's the most comical fucking thing because it's Mr. Crab of all people just being like, hey. <laughs> Mr. Crab starts to pick something up, but Agnes says it's her fault and she'll clean it up. Yeah. Whew. All right. That was hard to talk about. Right. And it's just, and, and, uh, P2C. Yeah. Uh, I really liked some of the things he did in this scene. Yeah. Just like, just all these shifts and like his reaction to her saying she went to see Fat Thomas Mm -hmm. and like, but man. Well, and no, I mean like, and I feel like this is a scene that we have seen before. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this is, this is common for the person to be like, you don't know anything, but we never really see the context. And usually the person's like, you know, they haven't done an active information seeking mission. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, it was so unpleasant to watch them fight. In some park, Henri collapses against a tree and Harry goes up to him and grabs his wrist. But then Leclerc starts flashing back to the war, talking in French Harry says that it's him, it's Harry, and asks who he thought he was. Leclerc says, they're dying, all of them, my men. Harry says that there's no one there, and Henri says, they're everywhere. They beg me for water, and I can't help them, and gets up and starts running away. And Harry shouts after him, but is ignored. 
Agnes is sitting in the dark at Martle House and hears somebody come in and gets up, but it's just George yeah. who says that she's up late and she wants to know if he's seen Henri and he says no. She starts putting on her coat to find him, but George says it's 3 a.m. and takes her coat. He asks what happened and she says they had an argument. Well, more than that. George says that he'll be back when he's ready and he survived four years in France. He'll be fine. Uh. Yeah. Agnes asks if George is all right. Uh, he says, of course he is. In fact, uh, he's really living the plot of the novel Flowers for Algernon. <laughs> and it's all going to come crashing down one of these days. He says that he, she says he never talks to her about the war. He says some days he hardly thinks about it, but others, everything looks the same, but it's like it's not real and could break apart. Agnes asks what he does, and he says, get through the day, hope it gets better. He says to wait for Henri, that's all she can do, and gives her a hug. Uh, Henri, on the other hand, is walking through an underpass where a bunch of homeless veterans are lying around. Right. Which seems like walking through a tunnel filled with ex-soldiers also could be quite triggering you would, you would think that yeah no and again and george and fat thomas and Henri each have different you know baggage and deal yeah. with it differently so that's cool mm-hmm. in harry's office harry asks crab and grove if they have heard from Henri, and they have not and martle said that he didn't come home the previous night grove says that he has seen similar behavior from people in his regiment where they start acting erratically and he talks about the realization when the, the the euphoria of getting home passes and you have the and you realize that you have memories and feelings that no longer apply in daily life crab suggests they give him a period of leave and grove says maybe but sometimes making a chap feel useless is the worst thing to do Harry says he can't close the door on Henri, and he will find a role for him by his side where Harry can keep an eye on him, but they have to find him first. And, like, I understand what Harry's saying here, but it's just, it's completely beyond his scope. Yeah, you yeah. You know, like, he doesn't have, I don't believe he has military experience. I don't think so. Um, No, and I mean, it's it's just, it's messed up because yeah. just this just keeps happening. Yeah. You know, and you send a bunch of people off to war and you're like, you know, support your country, go do this. And then they come back and they're like, Oh, remember that country you were supporting? Well, you're too weird. Yeah. Please don't be around anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh, and that skill set that we trained you to have, uh, you can't use that here. Yeah. None of it. No, we don't need anybody killed. Yeah. You'll get in trouble. Yeah. If you do the things we trained you for. And it's even worse if you're somebody who I think is like a career person in the military. Hmm. I mean, I guess if you're a career person, then you stay in. But it's like if you are in it for a long time and then you have to leave, like you have your skill set does not apply right at all right. and you can't get a job. Yeah. So it just it sucks. It's it's terrible. Yeah. And it just repeats itself. Yeah. Over and over and over again because all the people who are bankrolling it aren't affected by this. Yeah. No, I think I think this all the time. But I think that, you know, like on Wikipedia, anytime there's an article that's about a battle or a war, one of the little sections will say result and it'll be like, you know, dramatic French victory or whatever mm -hmm. it might be. But they should all have the same thing. They should all say the same thing, which is result. People kept fighting each other off and on up through the present day. Yeah. Like none of it ever resolves anything. And if you have to kill somebody, can you really ever win? Right. Anyway. I have to go listen to the Fleetwood Mac song of Rhiannon now. <laughs> as do we all. Kitty wraps things up with a customer as Mustache angrily walks in and she asks what he's doing there. He says that Connie spends an hour singing in the bathroom before reading his paper and getting crumbs everywhere, all while he's trying to work. Kitty says that she needs to find another job and she'll talk to her. 
Mustache kisses her hand and leaves. Yeah. Mustache is really pissed off. He, well, you look, you would be. I would be too, yeah. yeah. Also, like, A, she needs to find another job. Also, B, she could cut out with the singing. Right? Like, that like, seems like a respectful. Yeah. Like, you know that Mustache works at home. Right. That seems like an easy ask. Yeah. Mustache buys a paper. With radically different facial hair than in the previous scene. Oh, yeah, that's in right. In the previous scene, he was working that beard. Mm-hmm. And now he's back to the same old clean-shaven mustache we all know and tolerate. Right. So, so bad move, eyeliner. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Mustache looks at Sarge and Private Runty across the street. That's my name for his sidekick now. Great. Now we know. <laughs> Noting that Private Runty gives Sarge the money that he just got from panhandling, and then Sarge gives him back his shares. So we see how things are run there. Cut to Well, to be fair, Sarge outranks pri- Private Runty. Well, you're right. That's true. So cut to Mustache knocking on the door of Caliano's. Haircut answers, and he says that he needs a place to interview Sarge and Private Runty for his book. She asks if she'll be in it. He says, you never know. And she says that they don't open until 6, so he bribes her and she lets him in. Again, is this the only bar in town? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then why does he need these protections? It's all part of the Defense of the Realm Act. It gets very confusing. There will be but one nightclub, <laughs> and it shall be run by an Italian man who is very fat. Uh, we can't find a fat guy, boss. <laughs> well, then, someone who sort of looks fat. Yeah, someone who seems fat, even yes. though they're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever, boss. <laughs> Why do you have that accent? I <laughs> oh, picked it up during the war. <laughs> Harry shows Kitty into his office and says that beauty sales are through the roof, and if her department needs anything, he will be happy to help. Kitty says, well, and she says she has a sister that used to work there, and she knows she's being ever so bold, but she knows that family is important to him. And Harry says, jobs go on merit, not family connection. And you guys. Yeah. (laughs) This is... One of the finest moments we've ever seen. Yeah. Kitty responds, but isn't it wonderful when they can be both? I know you must feel that way about Mr. Gordon, your son. He's done ever so well here, hasn't he? He's a chip off the old block, isn't he? (laughs) And there is this tense pause because that was a ballsy fucking move. Yeah. And Harry says, no one but you could get away with it. <laughs> and he says that Connie can have the job. Yeah. And no, but I mean, it, it's fucking great. Because it is. look, Nunu Gordon's fine. Right. But he is not... He he was at no point hired for his abilities. Right. That is correct. I mean, And not in any of his promotions or anything. And everybody knows it. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, and Kitty is like so... Pl- and it's not like Kitty would like make a big thing about it. No. But they would both know, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. At Caliano's, Mustache asks Sarge and Private Runty what they did before the war, and they worked in a laundry and a warehouse. Uh, and then they say they were slow getting demobbed, so by the time they got back to England, there were no jobs left. Sarge says that they gave his job to a girl and said that she was just as good and they could pay her less, which is another... Yeah, guys, anytime you feel like pay equity uh, would somehow negatively impact you, never forget that because women are paid less than you, a woman can get your job simply by virtue of the fact that she's cheaper. Right. So uh, tell a friend. (laughs) A sexist friend. (laughs) We all got them. Yeah, it's probably true. He says they should have kicked all the women out as mustache signals to keep the booze coming. 
and Sarge complains about women giving themselves airs and graces for pin money. Private Runty says that the idea of home kept them going in the trenches, and Sarge says, yeah, and then you come back and you've got nowhere to live. He says, here's my arse, and takes a drink and says that somebody ought to do something. That sounds like a statement that will definitely not be followed through on. Yeah. No, any the statement somebody ought to do something is always a troubling one. Yeah. Well, but here also, I mean, so we've got our very sympathetic veterans in Henri and Fat Thomas mm-hmm. and George who have all like dedicated themselves to trying to, you know, maintain a respectable right. situation. Um and we're just we're we're getting a very full spectrum yeah. of the the veteran experience, right? And also, it's weird to me that Sarge and Private Runty are hanging out in front of Selfridges to panhandle. I mean, I guess it's, you know it's it's like a highway off ramp or whatever, right? Right. But you know, I mean, Selfridges did give back the jobs to every man that worked there, right. which wasn't like super smart, yeah. But they did it, yeah. Like you can't fault Selfridges. Right. For not really truly supporting yeah, the men yeah, yeah, who went yeah. and fought. Agnes walks through the underpass from before. Uh, Henri is not there. She goes back home and calls for him, but there is no answer. Yeah. So Harry and the homely architect are going over the plans and uh, comparing them to Rosa's sketches in his office. They share a smile as Plunkett knocks and says that she's leaving for the day and not to forget that he has tickets for the theater. So if you're thinking about banging this architect, just make sure you get it done before the play. (laughs) (laughs) The homely architect says that women run the households and nobody has asked them what they want. So she did. And she shows them a survey saying that what they want is hot and cold running water, electricity throughout, a private lavatory inside, and a private garden. And Harry gazes at her, not appearing to listen too closely. Uh, he, he might want to listen. He's already invested 30,000 pounds. Yeah. He really needs this to work yeah. out. Jazz. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Violette enters. Kaliano's wearing a dress that, uh, the, oh. Yeah. I just wrote down, this dress makes me want to revive the Fashion Backwards Award for Backwards Fashion, a.k.a. the Backy, just to give it to this dress. This dress is like a stained glass window that puked. <laughs> like, it is so bad. Yeah, styled after a high school production of Once Upon a Mattress. <laughs> like, Well, she's shy, Tom. I, I guess so. She's wearing gloves? Look, Tom, I'm not here to tell you that this is okay. Right. Because it's not. It isn't. Oh, I figured out who she reminds me of. She's like a cut-rate Rachel McAdams. Oh, all In right. Slings and Arrows, specifically, I think. Okay. Yeah. I think. Well, maybe we'll just watch Slings and Arrows again to find out. We probably will. <laughs> she goes up to Fat Thomas, who dismisses the floozies he was chatting with. <laughs> she greets him as Victor, and he asks if Gary Oldman is there. She says no. He says she's on her own. She says he thinks no decent girl would come out with without an escort. He denies it. She says he has no idea what kind of girl she is. Like, are you like a plucky girl reporter? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'll get the story. You don't have a newspaper to write for. <laughs> I never let that stop me before. <laughs> ah, she was a proto-blogger. <laughs> Fat Thomas says she doesn't know anything about him, so they're equal, and he gets her a drink. And, uh, I mean, look, to be fair, Harry really left her no choice but to get a bad idea boyfriend. Yeah. That's if you rule out every other option. Bad idea boyfriend is all that's left. It's time to get that guy, you know, kind of, that runs that bar. Yeah. 
Time to time to sleep your way to the bottom, Violette. <laughs> Welcome, sister. Present yeah. company accepted. <laughs> One of us, like, and I guess that's probably the dress too. Like somehow in her crazed upper class mind, she thought that was a more appropriate dress for the occasion. Right. I'm like, have you not looked around to see what anybody else at this club is wearing? Why because, would I do that? <laughs> uh, you should have seen his face, customers. He looked just like her. <laughs> Harry walks the homely architect to the elevator, says that he's sorry they had to stop, but she says that he does have to get to the theater. He offers to get her a cab, and she says, you're very kind, Mr. Selfridge. He says, Harry, please. And she says, Nancy. And the elevator girl smirks a little bit. While Mr. Selfridge says, nailing it. <laughs> Soon will be nailing Nancy. Mm-hmm. Boy, how many floozies do you suppose this elevator girl has seen come and go? She's probably actually seen some of them come by accident. <laughs> oh, sorry, Mr. Selfridge. Did you need this elevator? For fucking. I'm glad you asked. At Martle House, Agnes sits and broods. Martle gives her some tea. Agnes says she's looked everywhere as a haggard Henri walks unnoticed into the front hall. Martle says they love each other. And Agnes says, maybe that's not enough. The war has changed him, and she doesn't know him anymore. And he frightens her. Henri looks stricken, and Martel helplessly strokes Agnes's shoulder. Kitty walks past Sarge and Private Runty. It's nighttime at this point. Sarge asks if she can spare a copper, and she ignores him. He calls her a bitch. She stops and asks what he said. Other men walk up behind him, blocking off the alley, which is, in other scenes, this did not appear to be... This was not an alley. Yeah. Well, I mean, it may be... It's probably not the front door. Oh, right. At this point. She wouldn't use the front door to go in and out during work hours. Yeah, that's true. In any case, it is an alley. And Sarge says, oh, you spent all your money on drawers and rouge. And she says she wasn't shopping. She was working late. Sarge says that they knew a few working girls in France. And everybody, uh, you know, laughs in a threatening way. Kitty says that she's head of department. Private Runty says she's keeping honest men out of a job. Kitty says that she works in beauty. And she's just worked a 14-hour day. And then says that it's no wonder they can't get jobs drinking on the street. Sarge tells her to shut it as some man walks behind her and some shoving breaks out. Kitty hits Sarge, and Sarge punches her so hard that she bounces off the wall and falls to the ground. And then he tells Private Runty to keep watch. Sarge gets on top of Kitty and puts his hand over her mouth. And then Harry runs in and scatters everybody and starts yelling for the police. And this moment, I... Like, and I give it to Jeremy Piven, too, because there's just this, like, he's angry, but he's also, like, scared and helpless, you know? He knows that he's already too late Mm -hmm. and that this has already happened and that, you know, he can't undo it, you know? And it's... And I mean, he, uh, yo, I mean, like, he clocked her. Yeah. And, yeah, again, hard to watch. Yeah. Uh... No, man, it just fucking sucks. Yeah. And again, every time there's a war, this also happens. Yeah. So, like, let's stop having them, maybe. I agree, man. I mean, and you know, it's not as if war is the only thing that causes rape. Sure. But it certainly doesn't do anybody any favors yeah. to get a bunch of people all aggro yeah. and separated from their families where prostitutes are. Well, I mean, there's co-ed military now, but it's still really fucking bad. Yeah. And, you know rape in the military is a huge fucking issue right anyway this is terrible yeah and uh kitty also nails it i forget the name of that actress i think it's amanda something yeah i don't don't um 
no, she's just kidding to me. Like, yeah. she's just always so kidding. No, and it's just like, you have to give it to Kitty to an yeah. extent. Yeah. Because she, at no point until he hit her, right. thought she was in any real danger. Yeah. Like, and you know, she made some really valid points. Yeah. She was like, how are you going to get a job doing this? Right. And, you know, it's the same sort of thing that she told Connie not to do. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's rough, buddy. Yeah. So we'll see in next week's episode what, uh, the fallout is from this. Yeah. And not to mention the fact that this is the guy that her husband was just interviewing. Yeah. And illegally led into a bar where they served alcohol when they weren't supposed to. Yeah. Uh, which is potentially going to get fat Thomas in a lot of trouble. Yeah. And, uh, Monsieur Leclerc losing his fucking mind. Uh, yeah. Things going well for the homely architect though. Yeah. She's doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> she's got her, you know, Violet's going got on. some kind of scam that she's planning to run. Yeah. The Selfridges do like to hang out with like, Bad news people. They do. They love actually. it. That's, that's, uh, a family wide trait. Yeah. I mean, for God's sake, look who Rosalie married. Yeah. Like, forget hanging out with. That's a good point. No, Roddy the Rat. Mm hmm. Uh, Ellen Love. Right. Delphine. Yeah. Uh, Ernest Shackleton. <laughs> that famous profligate. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there were more weirdos that they were hanging out with. Yeah. Like, maybe just them. Yeah. I mean, Rosalie also hung out with Roddy the Rat. Well, right. Like. Yikes. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Well, Selfridges, you got terrible taste. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, Sergey and his mother. Right. Anyway. Right. Yeah. So bad people all around. Yeah. Now it's time for the Selfridge Awards, a.k.a. the Selfies. Hooray. And we'll start off with the Nail In It Award. We're going to give that to Kitty. We are. Because up, li- up until the part where they almost raped her. Yeah. She just killed everything she attempted this week. Yeah. Like she from the opening scene uh, to the cosmetics demo, mm-hmm. she got Connie a job. That's right. You know, she's she's holding it down. She's nailing it. She's nailing it. She's doing great. It's a fact. It's absolutely wonderful. So yeah. Kitty, great job. I hope you are not too traumatized. Yeah. Because I don't want to cry anymore. <laughs> Next up we have the stick poke and for the most what the fuck moment. That's right, and that goes to Doris Classic encountering what we assume is the father of her child. What? Yeah. I am really excited about this love triangle mm-hmm. because it's kind of not exactly even a love triangle yeah. between Martle and Grove and Doris Classic. Uh-huh. It feels like this horrific slow-mo car crash to me. Yeah. Like, there's only one way it can end, and I don't know what it is, but they all also know that. Yeah. Because I feel like Doris Classic kind of might know about Miss Martle at this point. Like, it's, you know. I don't know. It's really, 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 really hard for me to say, because Mr. Grove does not seem like the type who would be much of a sharer, but he might have. Yeah. It's, yeah, I definitely, I agree that it is hard to say. Like, I'm just not sure. Yeah. Next up, we have the window-worthy award for the most visually and enjoyable part of the show. We're going to go with that auction synagogue. Yeah. It was beautiful. It really Speaking was. Speaking of windows, yeah. like it had them. Just yeah. Gorgeous stained glass and just a very sort of like old world feel to it. Because yeah. most of the architecture on the show feels more modern. And right. This was just, right. this was very much, you know, rooted at least in the 18th century. Yeah. And it was beautiful. I wish we had spent more time in it and less with uh, Lord Locksley. Well, 
And then finally, we have the Eyeliner Award, where we award Andrew Davies uh, a designation, the Eyeliner Scale of Eyeliner. That's right. Uh, whether it was crayon, pencil, or liquid, mm-hmm. crayon being the lowest degree of difficulty, pencil being medium difficult, and liquid being uh, nailing it standard. <laughs> and thusly, the selfies have become self-referential. And, oh, hang on, I'm sorry, uh, a rent in time and space has just opened, and I need to go through it. Uh, great. That'll maybe let us get ahead on some of these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> in any case, the uh, the ranking this week, Liquid, uh, oh, yeah. again. This was a really solid episode. I feel like the previous episode had some weird moments that didn't quite... Mm-hmm. Like, and we gave that Liquid also. Yeah, we did. This, this was a tight hour of television. It was. Like, and the, you could bounce quarters off this one. Yeah, and it's like... Yeah, I mean, confirming the early signs that this season is looking actually, like, really good. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's just, you know, there just aren't the ridiculous things that there were before No, and it's, so like, it's, become, it's becoming a different show in the third season in the same way that Downton Abbey did, except <laughs> that the third season is, like, great. Right, like, in reverse. Yeah. Or, wait, no, Downton Abbey became a different show in the fourth season. When did Matthew die? It must have been at the end of the third season. It was, because the end of the second season was the war. Oh, right, right. And Lavinia's horrible dress. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's weird. I think about the second and third season as like the same season for some reason. I kind of do too. And I don't know why. I don't know. We've got the complete scripts. I know. (laughs) We should get our shit together. (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, that brings us to another end of an episode. That's right. And yet we don't really have a sign off. Nope. Uh... I like the idea of the artful porter. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you know, tighten your belt. <laughs> Great. <laughs>